We have one mission at the program. Develop better leaders and create more cohesive teams. Let's go, man. It's a race. Welcome to the program podcast. The program is a team building and leadership development company that works with more than 160 collegiate and professional athletic teams and corporations throughout North America annually. And I'm Eric Kapitulik, the founder and CEO of it. The program believes that talent allows us to do well in life. It allows us to win games. But a commitment to getting that much better, put your thumb and index finger two inches apart, that much better allows us to compete for championships on whatever our chosen battlefield may be. We get that much better by being great teammates and great team leaders. Joining me today on the program podcast is Mr. James Kerr. James is the coach's coach, a creative catalyst. James uses the techniques from his work with the world's most elite teams to help leaders galvanize their teams around the C-suite. Clarity, connection, cohesion, communication, contribution, collaboration, challenge, character, and common cause. The methodology helps teams lift their game by creating the conditions for sustained success and has been shown at the highest levels to deliver results. He has advised some of the world's most iconic and elite teams, including the British SAS, Manchester City Football Club, the World Cup winning England cricket team, as well as Google, McKinsey and Company, Dyson, Boeing, and Goldman Sachs. He speaks globally on a range of topics, including high performance culture, leadership practice and culture change, a winning mindset, and a coach leadership approach to leading change. He is the best-selling author of Legacy, what the All Blacks can teach us about the business of life. James, your book is awesome. And thank, thank you so much for joining me on the program podcast to discuss it and the lessons the All Blacks can teach us. Eric, thank you for having me. It's a privilege to be here and have a chance to talk. Well, we're fired up. For our audience who may be unfamiliar, the All Blacks are the New Zealand men's national rugby team. They are the most successful international men's rugby side or team of all time with a winning percentage of 77.41%. Let me say that again. A winning percentage of 77.41%. To put that in perspective for our American audience, the teams with the highest winning percentages in our most popular professional sports are the Dallas Cowboys at 57.3%. In the NBA, the San Antonio Spurs at 62.1%. And in the NHL, the Montreal Canadiens at 58.7%. And look, for our Las Vegas Golden Knights fans, I know your win percentage is 61.3%. I've done my homework. But look, I'm a Boston Bruins fan. I hate the Canadiens. 
but the Canadians have played 6,731 games. Las Vegas, you've played 235. And so I'm going with the Canadians. And finally, how about the dreaded Bronx Bombers? The New York Yankees. 57% of their games, they have won. The All Blacks, 77.41%. The All Blacks are in a class by themselves. James writes, to become an All Black means becoming a steward of a cultural legacy. Your role is to leave the jersey in a better place. The humility, expectation, and responsibility that this brings lifts their game. It makes them the best in the world. What this means for leaders in other fields is the story of this book. And it is what we will discuss today. James, first question. Why the All Blacks? Was it just because of their incredible success? Or, or uh, why were you compelled to write about them? Well, um, I'm a New Zealander. I'm a boy from Aotearoa, from New Zealand, the, the land of the long white cloud. And, and you know, the All Blacks are our guys, really. It's, a re it's a, the national religion. It's yeah. a one-sport country. It's a small island nation of just five million people with a team that is not only able to compete with the best in the world, but is the best in the world consistent, consistently. 77.41% uh, uh, percent, uh, of, of, of a win ratio. The, the, the other factor I wanted to throw in, that's over 125 years. It's 125 years of dominance, decade by decade, decade by decade. So in answer to your question, it's a combination of things. One, I'm a Kiwi and a proud Kiwi, and these guys are our guys. Two, it was an opportunity to kind of, I didn't make it on the rugby field, but I can talk my way into just about anything. So that was a fantastic privilege and opportunity. And also, of course, you know, it's the question everyone wants to know in a sense, I think, you know, how do they do it? What are, what are the beliefs and behaviors within that environment that create outstanding results? Um, yeah. Because, uh, you know, there are structural, there are many advantages New Zealand rugby has. It's a, it's a small country, but it's not too small. It has tremendous diversity of population, a large Pacific Island population, uh, Maori population. Uh, you know, there's the sort of the Scottish population, Scottish emigre population. They meet big, tall pieces of timber who work really well in certain positions in rugby. Um, that combination of factors, very clear talent pathways and all of that, but it is that two inches, the, this two inches, really, that mindset, the beliefs and the behaviors that sets them apart, I believe. And, and so I was really interested in, in my sweet spot is looking at what are the transferable principles across domains? You know, what can rugby teach business or teach special forces? What can special forces teach rugby or business? Um, and, and of course, they're the ultimate case study of a successful team. So yeah. I wanted to kind of go and use the All Blacks as a case study of what makes a great team great? How do you get there and how do you stay there? Right. And, and you highlight that, that the 77.41% is over 125 years. But when you first, the, when you first dis start discussing the, the book, it's actually at kind of a low point for, for the All Blacks. And you're talking about a point where now they, they, there has to be a little bit of a culture change, which also makes it very unique and applicable for so many of our own college and professional coaches and teams and corporations 
with whom yeah. we work. Yeah, there was a there was a cultural transformation and that began in about 2004. The, the All Blacks lost, I believe it was five games that season, which was unheard of. It was under new management. The, the season before it had failed once again in the World Cup. The All Blacks went 24 years of, of failure in the big matches, in, in the big biggest stage of them all on the in the World Cup. So they were considered to be the world champions between World Cups. And it was a painful 24 years for, uh, for New Zealand. And um, they just lost again and it was under new management, uh, a, a new coach and a coaching panel um, and uh, they were losing off the on the field because in many ways, I think they were losing off the field. Yeah. Um, there, there were some strong characters in the team. It was a dysfunctional environment. There was a lot of alcohol, sort of a hangover, I call it, from, from amateur days. Uh, you know, the game had yeah. relatively recently become professional. Um, there was a detachment from, from the country, from the nation they represented. It's like, these flash professionals out there getting paid for playing rugby. What's all that about? There was a, so there was a general kind of lack of, of a cohesive, coherent culture. They kind of lost, lost the plot, I guess, in many ways. Yeah. Um, and the new management came in and they, they turned the ship around. They really started to, to, to get, go, as they say, bone deep into, into what that culture needed to be. They need, they set out to fix this thing and, Part of legacy, my book is 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 really looking at the process and the, and the levers that they pulled to reboot that culture. Well, let's talk about them. You highlight in legacy what you call the first fifteen lessons in leadership. Yep. A rugby team has fifteen players who work together towards a common purpose to win. As you write, the first 15 works in the same way. Each has a role, each a responsibility, each a position on the field. Let's start with the first, sweep the sheds. James writes, this is after a World Cup match. While the country is still watching replays and school kids lie in bed dreaming of all Blacks glory, the all Blacks themselves are tidying up after themselves sweeping the sheds, doing it properly so no one else has to because no one looks after the All Blacks. The All Blacks look after themselves. James, boom. <laughs> I mean, if you need another reason to buy legacy than that, if you don't believe in sweeping the sheds, if that doesn't fire you up, stop listening to our podcast right now. I mean, right now. That is big time. Because no one looks after the All Blacks. The All Blacks look after themselves. James, talk to us about, explain sweeping the sheds specifically and what we can learn from it. Um, I, think many I think many factors. I think um, first, self-reliance is the an antithesis or the antidote to entitlement. And, and of course, entitlement is one of the great enemies of high performance, uh, of any performance. Unearned glory, the sense that somehow we're owed the victory or mm. we're owed the result. Um, and so, you know, standing on your own two feet, that sense of 
you know, being being present to what is, uh, but, you know, there's a there's a line in financial services, you know, past performance is no guarantee of future performance or right, of results, right. yeah, of returns. Um, you know, you know, so that's a fantastically important mindset attitude to have uh, in in any field of life, I think, and and that's really a, a, the other way of talking about that is kind of humility. Yeah, you know, never be too. I think the phrase I use is, you know, never be too big to do the small stuff that needs to get done. You know, don't get ahead of yourself. Don't think you're special. You know, don't think just because you're an all black, you're anything great necessarily, or a marine, or a special force operator, or a premiership footballer. I mean, kind of big deal. You know, that we all go to the same place in the end. We're all human beings. And one of the great risks in high performance is when you get ahead of yourself, hubris. Um, and and so, I, I think one of the things that 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 particular crop of All Blacks did and All Blacks management did really well is they they found practical ways of of in this case literally kind of grounding themselves. There are many organisations. Most organisations have done a values exercise. You know, and what's wrong with that word? It's just an exercise. It's a, right. something you go you go through. But but the great teams is is to put it metaphorically are the teams that take those words from the wall and they get them onto the floor. You know, they walk the walk. They they there's a phrase: live the values out loud. Mm -hmm. And and I think the sweeping the sheds, um, uh, the idea that actually no one is too big to take care of things it, you know works on a multiple levels whether they even really knew it or not when it was designed you know that's right it's 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 about taking care of business like that's tcb right. taking care of business just doing it right doing the right thing on a difficult day it's a it's what better metaphor for a legacy is that, that leaving the environment in a better place than you found it not leading what, what better metaphor for self-reliance is sort of doing it so no one has you know you stand on your own two feet no one looks after the all blacks they take care of themselves because in that situation they do and we're going to talk about the debrief that 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 they lead there after the game which is so important we feel at the program as well but the you know it's after a world cup match and now okay now we're clearing out in the all blacks themselves led by their team captains yeah or they're cleaning up the locker room themselves. Yeah. yeah. You, you know, James, we, we talk to our, our clients all the time uh, here in the U.S. As, with the athletic teams, big-time college football teams, right? Big-time pro teams and yeah. even corporations. And that idea, we, we highlight, yeah, let guys clean up their own locker room. Yeah. In, in most of those places, though, there's a cleaning service. It comes in. You know, yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The, 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 the Mexican ladies, that's the truth here in America. They, yeah. they come in to the, to the big football schools in Texas and the kids throw their tape around. They throw their jerseys around. They do, they do all that stuff, throw the towels on the floor. Somebody else picks after themselves. And then coaches say, oh, God, I can't stand how entitled these guys are. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. because you create an environment where they're allowed to be entitled. Absolutely. And I, and I, think, I think that's really – and, you know, I think it's – there's a, there's a line, a Buddha quote, where he says, the way you do one thing is the way you do everything. And I think it's spot on for this. And it reminds me in the corporate uh, in the corporate world, um, uh, Steve Jobs was a great example. He, his father was a carpenter, uh, and his father had taught him a lesson as a carpenter that you put your best wood at the back of the whatever you're building. 
yeah. where people won't necessarily see it. But if they're looking for it, you know that that thing has been built right. It's been built right. It's been done right. You haven't just put some MDF at the back because no one will see it. You've, you're thorough. You've done it all the way through. You're conscientious. And, you know, I think the thing is, and it's one of the things, you know, I ask young athletes is, you know, how committed are you really? Yeah. How, you know, are you doing everything with excellence? And, and are you living your values in every aspect? Because if, if you think that actually it's up to somebody else to take care of that and somebody else to, you're giving it, a, you're giving your ownership away in many ways. You're giving your commitment away. And, you know, that stuff sneaks up on you. You know, that's, that, that's when you're, 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 you get narrow, you get arrogant, you start to make bad decisions, you know, and those decisions can be anywhere. You know, the reality of any, any performer is they actually only perform for a, a small percentage of their time. You know, you're out on the field, just a small percentage of your actual lived experience of a season, um, if we're talking, or, or you only have, you know, it comes down to one presentation once in a while in a business. That's right. You know, look in special operations, James, we talk about jumping out of the airplanes and diving in the oceans. Yet yeah. you do that about 1% of the time. The other 99% of the time, of the time you're, you're you cold, wet. The rest of the time that sets you up for that performance. Oh, that's 100% correct. Performance is preparation. So how do you prepare? And are you prepared to do what it takes everywhere in your preparation? Do you take, so special ops, do you, you know, how do you, how do you treat your rifle? You know, how do you treat your cage? You know, you know, um, do you do you triple check stuff? Do you check up on each other? Do you do you go that extra mile? The, the one of the phrases in the book, I think we'll probably talk about it later, is you know, champions do extra. What's yeah, we will. Oh, yeah, we will. <laughs> you know, and the marginal gains um, to take another sporting term, the marginal gains that you get, the aggregation of those small details. Yeah. That's what leads to breakthrough results. And so how committed are you? Are you, yeah. uh, you know, and are you committed to live those values in every aspect of your life? Not just think, well, on game day, I'll smile and nod and sign some autographs and be, appear to be humble. Or can you, are you prepared to practice, practice the practice and walk the walk and take it from the wall to the, to the floor? Because there are plenty of organizations that have got values coming out of their ears they've they've done all of that stuff but it's the rare ones that live them that i think well, create the difference and james a couple I'm, i guess so excited here talking to you the 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 in one of those values and we'll talk about the others here but of the all blacks as you said is humility and you can have humility written on a wall you could put humility on a t-shirt as an example it doesn't mean that's actually one of your values. It means you spent 15 bucks on a t-shirt and put humility exactly. on it. Exactly. That sweeping the sheds is one thing that we do on a day-to-day -day basis that shows, yes, yeah. where we have humility. You know, you know the, the, I, I spent a, a number of years living in, in Bali in Indonesia, Hindu country. Um, and uh, in the rice fields, the rice communities there, um, the, the villagers will wake up you know, early in the morning, and they will spend quite a long time, hours, um, weaving these little offering baskets. And every day, you know, it can be dozens, hundreds of them sometimes. And then they will go out and they will light incense and put them in front of a, uh, in, in front. Now, they're gratitude ceremonies, mm -hmm. but, they're, but they're also about humbling yourself to a task in order to, um, to kind of get grounded 
yeah. and and you know i think it's an inc incredibly important um human ritual and you know i've had the privilege to 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 spend time with some incredible athletes um uh franz Klammer, the great downhiller yeah um, uh skier um uh he he starts his runs in in a in a wedge for those skiers out there in a very simple wedge he wants to get back to his get back to his edges come back to that i always remember the story of of joe Mont montana doing basic plays to begin every session um i think uh, vince lombardi used to start every season holding up a um a football and say gentlemen this is a pigskin let's start at the basics john wooden used to teach his teams to put on their oh, shoelaces yeah, yeah, and then yeah. the shoelaces because yeah. it starts from the ground up, and you'll never get blisters. How can you come to the fundamental behaviours that remind you that actually you're building this? Because it's very easy to lose your head. It's yeah. very easy to get carried away. It's very easy to start making assumptions. Yeah. Very easy to stop doing the stuff that you did that that you did that got you there. Yeah. So somehow grounding yourself and bringing yourself back to base, I think becomes hugely hugely important and it's ancient wisdom you know it's the ancient wisdom of knitting a an offering thing or meditating in the morning or lighting incense or lighting can candles or saying grace or all of those things are, uh, are very fundamental i think to the ability of human beings to kind of come back to the essential self and be become kind of selfless in that and i think that's a you know in a team first environment that's that's critical. Yeah. You know, ego you, you, is the enemy often. I'm sorry, say that again. I think ego is the enemy often. Yeah, we, yeah, we have seen the enemy and the enemy is us. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And, and of course, you know, hubris, that idea of um, the Achilles heel, you know, the Achilles story was about humility, really. It was a metaphor and a mythology as a teaching tool that actually he was dipped in the river and where his mother's hand was or whatever was his weak point. And, but he thought he had no weakness yeah. until he got caught from behind and shot in the heel. We've all got our Achilles heel. We've all got our weakness and it's only by being staying humble and humility is a, is strength. It's not a weakness. It's not meekness. And, and I think people often confuse cockiness or arrogance for confidence. Mm -hmm. The real confidence is that inner knowledge that you don't have to pretend. You can be true to yourself. You can stay grounded. You don't have to get the last word. You don't have to yeah. be that guy or that girl. You know, and that's that's true strength. That's really confident, quiet confidence that comes from inside. And I think that's really the aim. And if you can create practices or ways to to stay grounded and keep it real. Then, then, then just, just through that, uh, it's an antidote to all of that distraction and entitlement and ego and all of that stuff that really is going to derail you. Your, your worst enemy is yourself. Yeah, you know, and and James, before we uh, started today, I know we talked about our families, and it's it's interesting because you, you talk about the All Blacks sweeping the sheds, and why do they do it? Well, because one of their values is humility, and. I, we can't just have it on on the wall. We've got to do something every day that reinforces humility. And one of those things is, yeah, after a World Cup match, yeah, we're the greatest people in the world uh, at rugby. And yep, we're going to clean our locker room here. Yeah, yeah. And you know, I, I think about that, and be, 
because I'm having a conversation with my son the other night, nine-year-old son, Axel. And I, I tell him, I said, Axel, you know, daddy always tells you you're the greatest son in the world that I could ever have. You're my perfect son. I always say that. But I want you to realize that I don't think that doesn't mean that you're not going to make mistakes. Yeah, You, you will. You will make mistakes. D daddy has. I know all these other people, coaches come to our house, businessly. You hear daddy get on Zoom calls where he's speaking to, you know, thousands of people on a, on a podcast, right? Or a Zoom call or, or whatever. I said, just, I want you to make sure you realize something. Your father has made a lot of mistakes. Yeah. And he said, this is as we're going to bed at night. And he goes, dad, what's your, well, what's your biggest mistake? And, and I had to stop. And I said, you know, Axel, Dad talks about our values, being selfless, tough, and disciplined. Yeah, We talk about those things. And my biggest mistake in my life is that when your mother and I were boyfriend and girlfriend, I didn't treat her very well. I wasn't a great teammate to her. I wasn't very selfless to her. I wasn't very tough to her, and I wasn't very disciplined about it. And that's my greatest mistake I've made in my life, I think, X. Mm -hmm. Now, look, I can't do anything about it other than today trying to, I'm going to, as, as we'll get into it, I'm going to start again yep. and I'm going to recommit to that. But it's those daily actions. As somebody told me the other day, James, I loved, right? Love is not a feeling. It's an action. Yeah. Yeah. Love is a verb. Absolutely. It's a that's doing. right. Right. Yep. And that's true with all of our values. You, it's not just this thing to put on the wall. No, you've got to go and do something and we'll make mistakes, but let's keep coming back every day to, to, to try it. Yeah, absolutely. I think, and, you know, I, I think in terms of, you know, are we being generative? What are we generating around ourselves? And it's very much that love is a verb. You know, what are the actions that we bring our values to life with? How do we generate that spirit, if you like, uh, in those around us and they radiate outwards? And, and I think in many ways, as human beings, that's our work, is mm -hmm. to be able to really tap into, you know, the, the oldest piece of philosophy and psychology and theology really is know thyself That's you right. know you know what you stand for and what you don't mm -hmm. and then try to bring that alive in your life as much yes. as possible try to put that out there and make that real and i think what's interesting within the sort of the all blacks case study is that 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 you know by by luck and design they found a way of expressing a part of themselves in a simple action that was just about doing it right and you know my understanding of it it was quite a spontaneous occurrence when it began right mm. you know i also you know the the it's it's a it's it's a um you, because cultures and expressions of cultures are very organic i yeah. think you know as soon as in 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 some environments they have to be kind of rich you know sort of systemized yes but often when they get systemized they start to lose a little bit of meaning it's the generative act of people wanting to do it, of stepping into that, of owning it and deciding rather than just, oh yeah, I guess we have to go and sweep the sheds again, or, you know, we'd better go and visit a hospital. You yes. know, and, you know, we'd better go and visit the sick kids because that's kind of in the contract or whatever it is. It's like lean into it, make that part of, you know, your life experience and your contribution to everybody around you. And that leaning into it becomes a generative act. And there is huge, um, energy in that uh, for yeah. any any individual and any team and it's kind of the embracing of that aspect of ourselves that I think uh, is tremendously powerful in life 
James, I promise you and I promise our audience, because we have 15, the first 15, and we're at 30 minutes and we haven't left number one yet. But because it's so important, I feel like it's it creates it's such a foundation. I have one more question to ask about you as it pertains to the All Blacks. And then I promise you and our audience, we'll move to number two. Okay, But good. in the book, you tell a story about after a huge dominating win over the Welch, you say, Darren Shand, the manager, gently clears the room. It's just the team, the inner sanctum, all household names, squashed together on the benches. They look like huge schoolboys. They debrief. The etiquette is like, is it a fair or where? A Maori uh -huh. meeting house. Yes, a Maori meeting house, yes. Where everyone is given the opportunity to speak to say their truth, to tell their story. They debrief. James, debriefing takes humility. We, with our own clients, if there's one thing that we challenge our teams to do is debrief. Mm. They're, 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 they're vitally important. Yeah, in, and, in, business, in, and business, tends, business particularly tends to be terrible at it. We tend to you know, we're looking through the front view mirror and we never look and we never reflect. And of course, real learning comes from reflection. Sorry, I interrupted. Though. No, no, no. Well, I'm going to go there because in I know you discuss it later in the book, but I think it's also appropriate here where when you're talking about people's interaction, I love the term that you use. And, and in this, what the all blacks do while they're debriefing, you, you say in the belly, not the back, meaning yeah. look. If you're going to stick a knife into somebody, stick it in their belly at least. Tell people to their face, their front side, not don't go behind their back and do it. Yeah. The the my the question is why do the All Blacks look at it as so important to do that debrief? I think I, I think there are two main aspects uh to it uh from from uh from you know even beyond the All Blacks but but um is first great teams are learning environments. The commitment is to get better every day, yeah. And and um, and of course, a great debrief is the beginning of learning. It's about integrating the experience, and and uh, bringing so that we can do something about it, so that yeah. we can learn both from our successes and from our failures. You know, yeah. and so so anyone running a debrief, it's got to be about that. Otherwise, it kind of just gets lost in the wind. And 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 mm -hmm. and the, the the format. I think it's it's fascinating that let's say the All Blacks. Everyone has their say. Everyone must have their say. Is is very similar to what the SAS um, in the UK would call a, with no political co correctness whatsoever, a Chinese Parliament. You know, everybody has their say. Everyone is expected to have their say in that environment. Um, the Red Arrows, the display team for the for the Royal Air Force, debrief in a similar kind of way, smaller units, but in a similar kind of way. They retain their their flight numbers. They don't use names so that they can stab each other in the belly. Um, so and and that that has two functions. One, a game looks any game looks very different from the front and the back or from the stands out on the field. So it's important to get multiple perspectives. You know, as leaders, it can be very easy to start to think our point of view is the only point of view and of course we're missing you know the antennae that are that is out there that can provide good data data for us to work with first yeah. um secondarily because everybody has their say it it uh, creates ownership yeah i think the navy seals talk about extreme ownership you know this idea that actually 
you know, a, a, a team is not just one captain and a bunch of followers. It's a team of leaders. And, and leaders lead because they feel a sense of ownership of the project, emotional equity. And, and that comes from, by providing an opportunity for people to speak, to give voice, to actually make a contribution. Because if our ideas are in the mix, we'll die for those ideas. It's incredibly mm -hmm. important. Wayne Smith, a former coach, uh, uh, has a quote, uh, which, which I love. Uh, just people rise to a challenge if it's their challenge. Yes. And, and so a debrief, an after action review, whatever you call it, is an optimum time to create learning and to create connection and commitment. Uh, and and done really well and uh, you know as I said when I interrupted you know business particularly is really poor at this you know mm -hmm. we, we we pitch for a piece of business it either goes right or it go, doesn't go right we're only really interested in the result did we get the business or not but but really if you want to be a great team you've got to be interested in the process that it takes to get there you know you know preparation is performance and every opportunity, every day is a learning opportunity. What do we learn today? How can we integrate that into our into into our approach, into our process, so that we've thought of that, we've dealt with that, we practiced that, yeah, we've answered that question, that random question that came in the presentation, never heard that one before. Now we have. What do we make of it? What does that say about our process? It allows the the right questions to be asked. Um, and if I can just say one other thing, because I know I spent a lot of time on this, that it requires psychological safety within a team to be able mm -hmm. to have those conversations. And I think one of the things that's emerging um, in, in all leadership kind of um, styles is the necessity for, particularly in a time of diversity and inclusion and social media and gener generation X, Y, Z, you know, coming on up, uh, millennials, all of that stuff that, that really create Me Too movement, all of that, Creating genuine psychological safety for people is not, is not only critically important in terms of risk mitigation of stuff going wrong, but it's critically important that, that to allow people to flourish and to be the best version of themselves in an environment. Um, and that doesn't mean the straight conversations don't happen. You just need to design an environment that those straight conversations are understood as what they are, professional, not personal. Yes. And, and so the stab me in the belly you know, don't dis don't complain sideways. Complain upwards. Disagree, then commit. Creating um, uh, the the special forces over here in the UK talk about loyal dissent. Mm -hmm. You know, it's dissent that is loyal to the purpose of the team. Um, critical in any team. And and you know, in my view, the the poor teams are the teams that the things that need to get said don't get said. That's right. And great teams, the teams, the stuff that needs to get said, gets said, whatever that is, however difficult those conversations are, but there is a safe space in order, or at least a controlled environment in order for some of those challenging conversations to take place, because it's only by going into that zone of discomfort sometimes, uh, like going to the gym, you've got to break down muscle to grow it. You're going to have right. some tricky conversations along the way. So how do you manage that? How do you create an environment in which they, they, that level of contribution can happen? I think it's one of those key um, quotients of generalship uh, that, I think, that I think we need to learn. Well, well, look, first and foremost, I want to highlight the SEALs do talk about extreme ownership. The Marines actually take it. 
I just want to make sure we highlight that to our audience, okay? I, um, I would like but yeah, to no, the seals, the seals do talk. Yes. Oh yeah, the seals do talk about extreme ownership a, a lot, though. But yeah, the Marines take it. But I, James, I, joking aside, I, I do love that you and I didn't think about it this way before reading Legacy. I love that you talk about debriefs in sweeping the sheds, and you combine you you talk about them because what you're doing is. In a debrief, it takes great humility to say, hey, look. I screwed up. I, this didn't go well. Yeah, right? yeah, like, I screwed up. Or I can right. do better. That's you know, right. you know in, 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 to talk about Buddhism again for a second, you know, the idea of the beginner's mind, that we are a blank slate, that, that our egos don't get in the way of what of our impression of the world requires great humility. And, of course, that's the beginning of learning again. To, to be able to be open and available for for conversations rather than yeah yeah i know that mm -hmm. don't tell me how to do i've been in this team for 10 years and you've just joined or whatever the version of that ego conversation is to be able to go okay i am committed to learning i'm committed to getting better today i'm committed to being better tomorrow what does that take tell me tell me tell me be coachable I, you know not to big up the seals too much but but another phrase um, is, you know, that they're looking for expert learners. Yeah. You know, people who are really good at learning because, you know, we can yeah. be technically accomplished, but if we plateau, that's no good. How can we be expert learners? And, yes. and that an needs to be an egoless or a humble devotion, I think, to, to getting better, to developing. Yeah. Um, so I think they do work very closely together. Mm -hmm. James writes, a culture of asking and re-asking fundamental questions cuts away unhelpful beliefs in order to achieve clarity of execution. Humility allows us to ask a simple question. How can we do this better? I love it. Now, number two. Number two. Ch chapter two, <laughs> go That's for the gap. When you're on the top of your game, change your game. You either adapt or you lose. And sustainable competitive advantage is achieved by the development of a continuously self-adjusting culture. Adaptation is not a reaction, but continual action. So plan to respond. James, what do you mean? What, what is going for the gap actually mean for non-rugby experts, fans? Yeah. And then... Can you give it some examples of how do the all blacks specifically do it? How do they specifically go for the gap? They adapt that they make adaptation, as you say, not a reaction, but continual action. Yeah. Well, first I think it's that commitment to getting better every day. Mm -hmm. I think, I think that that learning, you know, learning environment and let's improve. Um, you know, if I take it more generally, you know, a lot of the time we seek winning formulas in our life, the stuff that works, and sometimes that works great. You know, Kodak built a fantastic business on film for a long, long time, but they were unable to change that winning formula and rip it up and go digital and, and they effectively died. Um, so, so it's important, critical for any organization to be in a process of constant reinvention, 
you know, even on a micro scale, you know, how can we do better? And I think the point I wanted to make, um, you know, when you're so, you know, often often we think of success and as a sort of a, a an alpha curve. You know, some days you're on, some days you're off. You know, I've got we're good this season, or this team will drop away, and we'll have to period of rebuilding and da, da, da. but but if you look at it as well that's not a given it's mm -hmm. not a given you go well how what what is it so there's also the sigmoid curve which is when you're at top of your game how do you change it the sort of scalloped shaped series of improvements when you get to a plateau what do you do well you kind of need to burn your boats at that point mm -hmm. you know I, I think you know another kind of military metaphor you kind of gotta i love it yeah decide you're at the, you're at the rubicon yeah, you know, you you gotta you gotta go there now. You know, an example of 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 the All Blacks, a lovely story. Um, you know, is that you know every I think pretty much every season or most seasons, a lot of the international coaches kind of meet um, uh, to to discuss the game and the future of the game and refereeing and all of that. You know, the kind of end of year conference or beginning of the next season conference. Mm -hmm. um, the All Blacks have been known, or New Zealand rugby has been known to kind of share their secrets, open the kimonos, say how they did it last season, which kind of commits them to have to do it differently the next season. Now, they're not fools, of course. They're not stupid. They're not giving everything away. Mm -hmm. But they are prepared to be kind of open source, if you yes. like, around stuff. And, of course, that forces reinvention and reconsideration. And, and you know, in a... If, if you stick to your it comes out very strongly in a in a in a sport if you stick to a formula you get found out pretty quickly yeah it's not that dissimilar in business people can read a business model they can reverse engineer a solution relatively quickly and and so unless you're you're literally leading the process and i talked about sort of being generative as a mindset, you know, and that involves kind of creating the new and creating the new and, and, and being rather than kind of going, yeah, well, that product works really well. We'll just sit with that and milk it for another five years. Mm -hmm. so chances are in three years time, that product will be obsolete. So, so I think it's a, it is a, a general mindset of, of constantly constant improvement and constant reinvention and the, and, and not really holding anything as too sacred. You know, often success kind of becomes a sort of a sacred talisman. You've got to hold on to it. Yeah. Um, but of course, you know, Apple don't make an iPod anymore. You know, yeah. iPod was huge for them, but you can't get an iPod now. You can't just have a music player. They binned one of the most iconic products of all time. That's right. Um, the ability to kind of reinvent, I think, is critical into, because we're always stepping into the future. We're always leaping over that cliff. What does going for the gap mean in rugby terms? Uh, well, that's just, I think, in military terms that, you know, yeah. it's talked about patterns and gaps, I think, is a sort oh, of okay. new yeah. right? You know, you've got, you look for the patterns, but what are the chinks in the armor? What are the places? Going for the gap, you know, you're, you're met with a wall of, of, of uh, defenders and you need to look for what's the way through. Yeah. So the, the, it's really a, a, a metaphorical way of saying, look, what's the next opportunity? What's the next um, opening for us to exploit? Do you know, James, when I read this chapter, what I thought of, it's something that, that I speak on and, and we try to help develop in, in corporations, especially now, is that, you know, everybody talks about COVID. Oh, woe is me. Hmm. And my 
challenge to companies that, that I speak to. And the message is what a wonderful opportunity COVID is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're and when I read your chapter about going for the gap, that's what I was thinking the whole time I'm reading it is yeah. What a wonderful opportunity. We're forced well, to yeah, change right know, now. You know, I think, I think, I think there's, there will be real pain. There is real pain. And, and I don't think seeing the two sides of it, um, uh, underestimates the pain that that some will feel That's but right. at the same time exactly to your point um you know i think about you know uh, i i last year you know i caught 120 130 flights around the world international speaker visiting teams working with teams now my life is here yeah on screen <laughs> i feel but you it's, but, it, but it's <laughs> and i you know i think uh, but 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 I think it's opened up a new world of possibility. And, and I was speaking to a, a colleague earlier today just about, um, it's a whole new business line yes. online. It's a whole new way of interacting that we need to master. And, and that, and that the, the fit will prevail in, in that situation. The prepared will, will, will thrive and it, and it creates a new business line. So even in that, and then, you know, I, I think there will be a flooding back, like everyone will hit the dance floor, if you like, um, after the dinner when 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 there is a relief in one form or another from COVID and we've got a chance to meet again in person and in the teams. I think there's going to be a massive opportunity that floods in at that point. So, you know, being agile, um, being prepared to adapt, being an expert learner, all of those things contribute to that kind of agility and, and opportunity. It also reminds me of another story that I that I love from um, uh, a decathlete called Daley Thompson, gold medalist, British decathlete, and he was asked. Apparently, I'm, I've 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 never met him, but uh, never met him, but um, it's anecdotal. But um, he was asked what his favourite day of the year is, and he said, "Ah, oh, Christmas Day." And someone said, "What the food and the presents?" He said, "No, no, it's because no one else is training." <laughs> and, and that mindset about uh, about well listen if everyone else's business is disrupt, disrupted right that gives me opportunities that gives my business or my practice or or you know my family or whatever your team is opportunities you know i think in sport for instance you know one of the one of the the a piece of work i, I did relatively recently with a, with a premiership football team and one, you know, one of the insights in that is, hey, what about how can you dominate an empty stadium? You know, because everybody in, in uh, you know, people have been playing in empty stadiums. Yeah, been, yeah, you know, yeah. And you go, okay, well, that's the same for everyone. And if you're freaked out, it's no longer feels like a home game. You know, that's an opportunity there that's in right. one way or another. You know, your body language, the way you spread out, the, the way you enter the ground, how can you own the zone? it's a different way of doing it but whoever gets there first whoever adapts first is going to at least have a small amount of psychological or kind of territorial advantage so there's opportunity whenever there is change there is opportunities and you need to be prepared for that and and you know as we say kind of go for the gap and just because my business was in person i i need to embrace the fact that it isn't now and and look you know and then you go well listen I can be in. I can be running workshops with people from Brazil, China, India, Canada, and and New Zealand and the UK all at one time, put together with a week's notice, and I could never have done that in yeah, the past. Right. That's a huge opportunity for somebody. That's like right. That.
That's right. But but to do that, though, what we've had to do is, yeah, we've had to get better in our virtual presentations. Absolutely. To, to do that. I mean, that, that's that's what you have to do. Yeah. Uh, you, you talk about, you know, owning a, a home field with, when no crowd is there. It reminds me of the number of conversations I've had with coaches who talk about recruiting. And there's coaches who go, oh, my God, it, it, virtual recruiting is the worst. It's nothing can take the place of being in the living room and talking to kids and their families. And I quickly say to those coaches, coach, you're 100% right. Nothing does. The truth no. is my my motivational speech our training oh it's much better in person it is but we're on a level playing field yeah. it's, it's so, a big so what it's like complaining about the rain that, you know oh god saying? don't yeah look hey don't yeah don't get me started yeah there is no bad weather just soft people believe me that's the the Capitulix kids learn that early and so do the kids i coach but anyway i digress the point is to you what you're saying is james and, and completely agree is look it's a level playing field though it may not be great or the best, but if you can do your virtual recruiting better than the guy down the street, yeah, yeah. this is going to be a great opportunity. And that's just one, you know, you, you brought up one example from sport. I, I use another example from sport in business. It, yes, we may not reach our financial goals this year in some, in some industries, there will be some pain there, but what a wonderful opportunity this is to develop relationships though. And, Absolutely. but you got to yeah. do something though. Right. And you've got to go for the gap. Yeah. Totally. Totally agree. Totally agree. Chapter three, play with a purpose. Ask why. Inspired leaders, organizations, and teams find their deepest purpose, their why, and attract followers through shared values, vision, and beliefs. What's the all blacks? Why? How did they determine it? How should our audience develop their own at their own organization? Well, it, it, I think this, uh, of, of all the questions, this is the big one in many ways. And I think I'll, mm -hmm. I'll uh, talk about the All Blacks for a moment, uh, the, the haka, the challenge mm -hmm. that's thrown down before every game. And, you know, the, the, the haka, is, is the sound of the haka is the sound of the earthquake. And, and the earthquake shakes the earth and releases our ancestors to stand beside us in a struggle here on earth. This is one of the interpretations of it. I'm, it's not the only one. But, but um, so our ancestors stand with us and we represent all those who come before us and all those who come after. And we're all standing linked arm in arm and the sun shines for a moment just on our moment. And it reminds us that we have a fleeting moment to, to make our mark, to fulfill our promise, to fulfill our purpose, to, to add to the legacy, to represent all those people before us and after us, to, to, um, and as they say, to leave the jersey in a better place. Mm. And I would say the, the official purpose of the team is to unite, inspire a nation, New Zealand. And they do that, but I, I think the, the, the guts of it, if you like, the, the, the heart of it, is really that idea of, of leaving the jersey in a better place, of leaving a legacy, of leaving their mark and their moment in the sun. And I think, I think one of the, the fascinating things for me around that is that, you know, we talked a bit about fatherhood, you know, you know, isn't that parenthood, isn't that idea of legacy something that is hardwired very, very deeply inside us as a, as a core, almost biological purpose? 
uh, and or in, in kind of helping set up the ne next generation perhaps to be uh, better than us, to be a good example, to be a, a good ancestor. Jonas Salk, the, the you know, uh, who, who, polio vaccine, the polio vaccine, yeah. you know, he said, you know, our first responsibility is to be a good ancestor. Yeah. And I think that works backwards and forwards. We represent those who come before us and we represent those who, who will come. You know, we want to do our time, do our, make our mark in our time here on earth. We've, we have a fleeting moment, really. It, it goes quickly. What are we going to do? And, and so on. And in that, there, there is meaning. And in a way, that's where we get our meaning, I think, in, in life. The, the, uh, Camus, the existential novelist and philosopher, said, um, the meaning of life is that it ends, you know, and I've always kind of in a love-hate kind of way, I've, I've loved that quote, um, you know, that, that this too will pass. And so what are we going to do with our time in the team, whatever team that is? What are we going to do with the, the time that we're, we're given? Now, you know, all human beings want to live significant lives of significance and meaning. We want to do stuff that matters. Yeah, we, we, we don't want to waste our lives. We don't want to have deathbed regrets. And any team that provides an opportunity to, or organization that provides an opportunity to live a meaningful life um, uh, is providing a service to the people who are part of that team, or an, it's certainly an opportunity to people who are part of that team. And I think that relationship between personal meaning and the sort of the, the, the public purpose of an organization, if you like, is incredibly important um, for, 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 for satisfying something that's very fundamental in human beings, that desire for a meaningful life. And, and sorry, go on. No, 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 go ahead, James, please. And, and so, so the, the why, the why do I get out of bed in the morning? The why are we doing this beyond just results? Because, and, and results can be of all sorts. So there can be the corner office or the BMW or the, the new five series or, you know, a new Ferrari in the garage or a new swimming pool or, or it can be a, 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 a trophy or a medal or a rank. But they're all external circumstances. Yeah. And, you know, they wear off pretty quickly. You know, there's, a, there's, a, there's stories of people who have sort of, won an Oscar and they've gone back to the hotel room and cry themselves to sleep. Is this it? Yeah. So, you know, we, we want to live for more than that, I think. And, and, um, and so the fulfillment of, of, um, uh, of, of our fundamental drivers is one of the functions of, of any group that, that, that we're part of. And so groups that can provide um, something that be that a purpose beyond merely winning will not only win, because it's hugely powerful as a force, but will provide the connective tissue for attract and retain talent, um, encourage discretionary effort, cr create a backbone through adversity. Um, and so there are many different aspects to purpose that I think, uh, you know, fantastically um, uh, are powerful and important, both sort of psychologically and in terms of performance. You you talk about you know the trophy the corner office the we work with a number of professional athletic teams think about a lot of the big businesses that we work with <clears throat> and we talk about this idea of you know people will say oh they do it for the money <clears throat> the athletes well if you actually have the opportunity to talk to professional athletes and I agree with them first of all if you're the best in the world at what you do I have no issue with you getting paid a lot of money to do it 
No problem with that. No problem. <clears throat> but when you talk to the athletes about why they do what they do, the most successful ones, the ones who make the most money, I can't say always, but the great majority of the time, money is the last reason they do why they what they yeah, do. Yeah, absolutely. And I would even say the ones that say they do it for the money don't really. Yeah. It's very difficult. There's no guarantee you're going to, you know, it can be an important factor, but there's a lot of years you have to do to hone your craft to get to the point you're making the big bucks. Well, you look, know, every, everybody says, well, hey, I want to, I want to be, God, I want to win a World Cup. Yeah, but do you want to get up five years in a row at 5 a.m. in the morning to go work that yeah, way? Yeah. Do you yeah, want to yeah. train that way? Everybody wants something, but are you willing to do that? And having a strong why is so important in helping you do so. But now, James, the, the question I have for you is, so the, the All Blacks, are they all intrinsically motivated? What about somebody who's not intrinsically motivated, but they still have to get up and go to a job they don't find purpose in? Uh, so real quickly, one, are all the Blacks... are? Are all the all blacks intrinsically motivated? Yes or no? Um, you'd sort of have to ask them individually. Uh, my yeah. instinct is is yes. It's yes, about getting right. better every day. It's about writing their name in history. It's about being a great all black. It's yeah. about um, it's about um, proving themselves on the big paddock. Yeah. You know, you know, all of those things. They are intrinsic motivations around. Um, Kind of pride and performance, I would say, yeah. and and contributing to something that's bigger than themselves. So yes, that's right. The idea that something, not the roar of the crowd, because the roar of the crowd isn't there at five a.m. in the morning when they're preparing. Absolutely, on a rainy Thursday when you're carrying a niggling injury, it's still just a job. You know, that's right. still, you still have to go through those those areas. And I think, I mean, just as a cul-de-sac of the conversation for a second, I think that's one of the powerful things within purpose is that if you do have a strong enough there's a Nietzsche Nietzsche quote if you have a strong enough why you can figure out any how you know that 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 if ultimately you're going um uh listen I you know it's about being a great all black then it's an easier conversation with yourself to have on a rainy Thursday when you're carrying that's right, an <laughs> that's you know? right. There, there's, right. a very, there's a very good story. And, about, and by the way, James, it's still not an easy conversation to have with yourself. No, like, no. That, and, that's and, the thing that we, we that, all lose the way. You know, however oh. glamorous and, and fantastic things look from the outside, you know, life can be a slog. Life is suffering. That often. is, but it makes it easier. It makes it easier. It certainly gives you a benchmark or a, a North Star or a sense of direction or a reminder, a mm -hmm. reinforcement, a conscience. You know, all of the whatever it takes for you to get through the difficult days. You know, what do you what do you then chat when people say, okay, but James, I I'm, I I don't I don't have a passion. Okay, I get the All Blacks are passionate about the sport of rugby. They're passionate about leaving a legacy. They're passionate about all the things you just mentioned. Be you know, GAB. Right? What about if it's you're working what, in sort of what if you don't, James? What, what would what would you recommend to them? Kind of thing, you know. Yeah, I mean, I think. Um, uh, I, I think there's there's a there's a couple of ways of answering that, and I think there's a there's there's a, a really interesting piece of psychology done around reshaping work, um, and it looked at two groups of hospital janitors, cleaners, 
and one were self-defined as um, cleaners. So really their job was to clean up mess. Um, you know, they reported high levels of, of absenteeism, lots of sick days, um, disengagement, disenchantment, uh, high churn rate. Um, the other group uh, reshaped their work to be about carers. They were part of the, the caring, the caretakers of the, the stewards of, of the patients. They were part of the health to the, the medical team, kind of. Mm -hmm. They were carers. Um, their, their attitude to their, their relationship to their work changed profoundly, particularly relationally. They would speak confidently to the doctors, for instance. They would ask questions. They would have a different quality of relationship to the, to the, um, uh, to the patients. They had a different quality of relationship with themselves. They had a different quality of relationship to punctuality, to sick days. They didn't want to let the patients down. So partly framing your conversation with your environment so that you shape it around you and what drives you, I think, is a, is a profoundly personal and powerful conversation. So, so there's that. And it, there's the old story about the medieval man who stumbles into the town square and there are three, three guys cutting rocks. And he goes to the first one. And he says, what are you doing? He says, what does it look like? I'm hacking away at rock. He goes to the second one and, sa and says, um, what are you up to? And the, and the guy says um, a little bit more calmly, I'm, I'm sending my kids through school. I'm educating my children. And the third one, he goes and says, what are you? And the guy's got a big smile on his face. He says, I'm building a cathedral to God. And whether you're, whether you're a God-fearing man or not, the motive, the purpose, the horizon that was looked at alters the, the game, alters the job. And, I, and I, I think if you're saying, well, I don't have any passion, you know, I, I call BS on that. I think everybody has passion. Correct. Everybody has something that they want to do or mastery they want to attain or sense of relationship or relatedness or, or autonomy or leadership or whatever, whatever it is that, that, that drives you. I think that it's about finding that combination and shaping your work to deliver on that for you, finding your bliss and your joy within that environment. And that's your responsibility. That's a generative thing. The job won't give that to you. You have to give that to the job. That right there is key. You don't expect your job to give it to you. Yeah. You give it to your job. Yeah. I mean, it's the JFK speech, isn't it? Don't ask what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. And it's the antithesis of entitlement. You know, no one owes you anything in this life. You are just one organism on a barren earth. And that barren earth has very little intrinsic meaning other than the meaning that you bring to it and the values that you live out loud. And, and I think that in that sense, we create our meaning and we create our life and we create and we make a contribution uh, in doing so by expressing ourselves, we, we make a contribution. And, and that's the mindset, I, I think, that you need in, in any team, in any family, in any relationship. And, 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 and that's where the, the good stuff happens. And that's where the joy is and the meaning and also the, the energy uh, mm -hmm. that, it has, that it takes to get stuff done. Yeah. Chapter four, pass the ball. Leaders create leaders. This is something, James, that for the program whose mission is we develop better leaders and create more cohesive teams. 
this is the the one of but a focus of ours of of being teaching people how to create leaders leaders creating leaders and you highlight dual leadership this is graham henry speaking the all blacks head coach during their world cup uh the run-up and and their victory dual leadership players and coaches was a very important part of our success says graham henry perhaps the reason for that success leaders create leaders by passing on responsibility creating ownership accountability and trust i thought it was very interesting james you you highlight eight things that the all blacks did to do so number one leaders create leaders i'm sorry number one they made an active decision to change they devolve leadership to senior players by forming a leadership group they developed individual operating units They structured their weeks so that responsibility for decision-making gradually evolved from management toward players. Number five, they created a train-to-win system, preparing the team under pressure. Number six, they focused on an understanding of how the brain reacts to stress. Seven, they created a learning environment. Number eight, they developed techniques, rituals, and language that connected players to the core. James, for, for leaders to create leaders, do you, do you think we need to do all eight? Is, is there one that you would start with or that you think is, is absolutely mission critical? Or if we're going to, if leaders are truly going to create leaders, no, we got to do all eight. Uh, well, I, I think, I think all eight is the, you know, the ideal kind of, it's an ideal mix. And for that particular context, and I think all contexts are clearly different. Um, I think I think that it, it's about how can you entrust responsibility at the lowest level possible organizationally. You know, it, the distributed leadership model. The, the, in military terms, it's it's a strategic corporal. It gets talked about. You know, the battle isn't won or lost back at headquarters. It's won or lost by the decisions that get made out on the field. By those small decisions, do we cross that minefield? Do we take that hill? Do we whatever it is, those, and, 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 and you need to train for that. And you need to have a system in place that doesn't. Military terms, it's called mission commands or commander's intent, I think, That's in, right. in the That's US. Right. And, and, you know, I think if I can just address that for a moment, you know, that's fascinating history of that because of course it came from the Napoleonic Wars that Napoleon beat the Prussians. The Prussians were very monolithic in their thinking. They had to run to the, they had to ride a horse to the top of the hill for their orders. Their king was about 12 years old. Um, you know, his uncles were all the generals. Um, I think average age of the army was 80 something of the, of the officer corps. You know, it was a, it was a dinosaur organization. Mm-hmm. You know, Napoleon, young, cons- conscripted, he entrusted his generals to be able to kind of make decisions on the hoof. They had an intent, they knew what the big plan was, but but the, the, on a smaller unit level, they were able to make agile decisions. Now, that's the model of a great organization, I think. But it's also, if you look at, if, if you look at what uh, Mission Command provides in a military sense, it provides a common framework. Mm-hmm. One of the things I think that's missing in, in business is a common framework. We talk about empowerment, you know? Well, what does that mean? 
you know i i i gave them 50 quid to spend on pizza i don't know what that means but if you unless you have a sort of a way of working that uh, that systemizes it in one form or another because the thing that kills empowerment is if one leader says listen your decision if you make a mistake you know that's learning but it's your call right and they get in the uk we'd say sort of bollocks from above right um then then that entire system crumbles so it needs to be a unified idea of what that means and and it comes down to that psychological safety you know are you is it sins of omission or sins of commission you know it, it is is do you get a bollocking because you tried something and it didn't work well that's a terrible culture if that's true yeah. you know if you get a bollocking for for, for one of better better slang for not trying something well good you know you got to have a go you got to be generative you got to be making those decisions you got to be on the front foot and that's leadership really taking responsibility for the result whatever that result is and 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 ownership and so um you know cultures that 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 actively put in place a philosophy um and a desire and some sort of guide rails about how that works that's necessary i think in order to to properly do it you need to needs to be a coordinated crossfire because otherwise yeah. the weak link will destroy it completely i think two things james right one thing we we highlight this to our clients all the time and i'd highlight it to our audience as well is when if you want to know a leader true a true leader is listen to what pronouns he or she uses yeah when things are good and when they're bad yeah yeah is it is it, hey, man, my guys, my team, my, my women here, my team, boy, they did an exceptional job today in today's yeah. victory. And yeah. in the loss, yep. Yeah, man, it's all me. I, I have to do I have to do better there. Absolutely. Pronouns matter. Listen. Pro, pronouns matter. Here's, an, here's another one similar. I've got two two kind of interesting, but but uh, here's another one similar, you know, you, 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 often I go in and one of my questions to a larger group is, what's the leadership like around here? And metaphorically, people either point upwards or they point to themselves. Now, in a big group of people pointing to themselves, you've got a decent culture. You've got a culture where everybody feels that in one way or another, they are a leader. If they're pointing upstairs, no one's really leading that shambles. That's, That's a right. blame culture. That's a it's it's not on my not in my department. It's not my job description kind of thing. Rather than hey, how can we how can we make this better? Um, the the other thing I wanted to say is, um, uh, and this is this is from from Wayne Smith actually, uh, one of the All Blacks coaches in the time I spent with him, and he said something that I didn't really notice at the time, but it, I thought was quite profound uh, later, which is. Um, uh, he, he's a hugely respected, experienced coach. And he, mm -hmm. he told me, half in jest, but he tries to go through the week without telling anyone anything. He just asks questions. Now, if you want to create empowerment immediately around you, just ask questions, mm. good questions, leading questions, questions that, but, but that help people. Because when you're asking a question, you have to answer it for yourself. A number of things happen. First, you actually have to think about it. You have to internalize it. You have to be prepared to defend it. And if that suggestion is taken up, you're going to own that thing because it's yours. That's 
how to lead on a really simple that's empowerment on a very simple there's no tell people ask people yeah. and and of course a lot of the time you know we get to be experts and everyone just we love the sound of our own voice but like a therapist or a good facilitator or a good coach you know the ability to ask the right questions at the right time and reveal to the people you're leading what their answer is which of course is the answer you had in your mind all along because you know you you, you know where this is going or you you hope to you can shape a much much more committed sense of we um and lead from within rather than lead from without i think you highlighted i i, I was so glad that that you wrote it, it because it, it will if if most of corporate America reads legacy, it can only help the program, James, because, you know, one of the things that we hear, one of our uh, hurdles that we have to get over uh, that we have two parts of the program. We have the program athletic cells and works with a lot of athletic teams, program corporate, very focused on uh, corporate, the corporate side of our business throughout the world. Very often, though, we'll hear from certain individuals in corporations, oh, well, you know, look, I looked on your website, you guys all served in the military, and, and you know, that type of leadership, it won't work with us. Mm -hmm. And James, I always, you know, cringe when I hear that, because the first question uh, that enters my head is, oh, uh, have you ever served in the military? Mm -hmm. Because... As, as you highlighted, and I love that you did, because I think there's probably very few people who have actually ever read uh, General Dempsey, who's the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, his, his white paper on uh, America's military, a profession of arms, was, and mm -hmm. in, in it, by the way, he discusses for our audience, he discusses military leadership. And he states, and, and that's what uh, James was just referring to, that we must harness the initiative and innovation of all members of the team. Leaders must empower individual initiative by providing clear, concise, and complete mission orders in a climate of mutual trust and understanding. This requires the leader to provide a clearly defined goal, number one. Number two, the resources need to accomplish it. And number three, the time frame. Yeah. The rest is up to the individual in the field. A clear understanding of the leader's intention and the right training are key to mission success. Yep. And James, when people, when I hear military leadership, and that's what I think of, that's what I was brought up in. That's what I know. Yeah, yeah, it, it, when somebody, and when somebody says that won't work here, I think, really? Like, yep. because people think of military leadership from the outside as like full metal jacket. Yeah. People you know, walk in reach arounds and screaming and and angry sergeant majors and and or staff sergeants and all of that and and orders and that's and, right you know, there's a phrase uh, you know i'm not sure it's in the U u.s military i imagine there's a version of it if you know if you have to give an order you've already lost yeah you know you know that 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 you know that's not you know that that leadership is the art of influence and the art of convincing other people without them even knowing it was their idea in the first place, you know, without, in a, you know, being kind of ironic about it, but, but, but people never do anything against their will, you know, very rarely do. And you, they certainly don't do things well when they're doing it against their will. So the art of leadership is the art of a much, much more subtle form of, of leading from within and really leaders 
are the valued representatives of their organization. There's been some really wonderful psychology done it in terms of that, that, that really, if, if you anthropologically, if you look at, at a group of leaders, the kind of the, the follow me, I'm your leader, the superior speak down to the team, you know, if, if in a kind of big brother kind of environment or a closed environment, they last about three days and then they're kind of elbowed out and the real leader is selected um, by the tribe, if you like, and they're the person who best represents the values of that tribe, the best ideal values of that tribe. And, and, and you do that by creating relationships, by understanding people, by bringing people together, by, by being the cohesive tissue within that group. You spoke about cohesion before. You know, the number one attribute of winning teams is cohesion, the ability to play together, teamsmanship, and the leaders who can sit in the middle of that. And, you know, I mean, you'll be familiar with, with you know, a lot of elite coaches. They are physically pulling people together. They're the guys who have got no idea of personal space. Right? You know, they're right there. James, you know? we say it all the time. Leadership is a contact sport. Absolutely. You know, it is bringing people together and, and you know, the, the, you know, it, it, it short circuits a lot of the conventions that have separated people. And so you get, you know, in, in what other world do, do grown men pat each other on the rear and tell each other they love each other? You know, you know, that genuine sense of heartfelt connection is incredibly important. Um, at a performance level, but incredibly important in different ways, even in the more rarefied atmosphere where we've got suits on, uh, suits of armor, and, and we're more distanced and stuff. But, but those truths remain that if we represent our people, if we can influence people, if we can lead people in the direction they really want to go, um, that's, and, and, that, and that's about intention and empowerment um, in terms of the Dempsey piece and, and, and that fundamental idea of of, and why Mission Command went from being a kind of a small theory in the in the German military academy and really is now the default leadership doctrine for every army in the world. And that's for a good reason, for a number of good reasons. One, small unit leadership. They just, we call it different leadership. things. We call it different things, but that's it's, what it comes it's down to. It's different things in, in, in different forms, but it's the same, the same that's right. sort of substructure. That's which right. is because and there's, there's there's well there's one main reason why it is spread it's because it works there was a, you know i know some authors i won't say their names but but have talked about why you know western civilization leads the world because of certain innate advantages that we just happen to have and i guess some people will believe that i i tend to believe that Yes, we had some advantages, but we use those advantages only after the fact that our Western culture is about small unit leadership, not the emperor makes all the decisions and we all have to wait around for them. And the battles that have changed the world, Western civilization has conquered in those battles at with fewer people in many cases, worse geographical locations you mean positions on a battlefield where we've got the low ground they've got the high ground even worse technology i mean you talk about the korean war our our jets weren't as good as the, the enemies and we've we we conquered that because of our ability to to train and develop small unit leaders yeah. and yeah. 
we we have to make it a coordinated action um absolutely and the agility that that provides and um the, the yeah, well, you, know, you you, you hit it, it you hit level and you look at stanley mccrystal's team of teams um kind of articulation uh, of it and you look at it within i don't know a tech a tech organization like google which is pretty much structured in that way because small units that are able with a lot of autonomy um that are able to kind of make decisions and make progress set against each other in a way or in, in healthy competition with each other will mm -hmm. come up with the goods whereas mm -hmm. if you try to centrally command it and of course you know there's arguments over centralized you know politically over centralized versus kind of federalist or state that it netflix um the 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 culture of netflix is defined by a phrase or partly defined by a phrase um uh, freedom and responsibility and i think actually that's brilliant because it is that balance between our own autonomy our freedom to to do what we think is right and our responsibility to the intent to yes. a higher purpose or to an ethos or whatever and it's always going to be that balance and i think i think if let's not veer too much into politics but one of the issues that i think is facing um politics at the moment is freedom and responsibility is seen as opposites you know on, on one level it's liberty and freedom and libertarianism and all of that right out there on the other end there's kind of responsibility which kind of gets called i don't know communism over there but really really the two need to work really tightly together in any well-governed group um and and it's that relationship between the individual and the autonomy and the responsibility to each other that that the balance has to be dead right and the teams that get that right or the organizations that get the right and i would argue the societies that get that right are the ones that are able to adapt and survive and thrive look after each other but we can look after ourselves is is really fundamental to the relationship between me and a group or me and we and that becomes one of the primary questions i think yeah i uh personal opinion uh i i think that if those societies would uh work to find truth rather than just read it on their social media pages it, it would help us do that but i, I think it and you know there's a lot of um there, there's there, there's a great there's a great phrase in 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 sport that you know sports news is a dish best served cold you know don't worry about the chatter because that's just static and noise you know clean that out and play your game you know what the answer is you know yeah. what you have to focus on yeah and i think what's happening a lot at the moment in the algorithms fill us with put us in these bubbles of a lot of noise and that's it's right. not healthy noise and it doesn't help with our focus it turns it into a sort of attention deficit disorder society in which we're being pulled in every direction all at the same time with very little focus on on Occam's razor what's the simplest possible solution and the most probable cause and i think that's a that really afflicts us and it afflicts good decision making ultimately and and ultimately generalship is about good decision making yeah um leadership is making the right decision at the right time for the right people for the right purpose and and all the rest is noise so yeah. anyway we we're, we're sort of going down that cold track. i'm yeah. happy to kind of digress yeah. but yeah Let, let's bring it back to the all blacks you say uh next you you highlight and we've talked a little bit about it but uh create a learning environment leaders are teachers Graham Henry, again, the coach talks about we're always challenging the status quo, always challenging the way we do things, both as an individual and as a team. 
How can we do things better? And I love this. Excellence is a process of evolution, of cumulative learning, of incremental improvement. Uh, you, you highlighted how can we do this? How can we create a learning environment? Because it reminded me of, of a conversation I had with uh, a college football Hall of Fame coach, gentleman by the name of Bill Snyder, coached at Kansas State football for years and years. I had We had the privilege of working with him at Kansas State, and I had an opportunity. We had, my teammates and I sat down with him, and he gave us an hour of his time after our work with them, and we just asked him questions. And what you highlight is analyze your life in terms of your environment. Are the things around you helping you towards success or are they holding you back? This means the verbal, visual, and gestural language that we allow to take up residence in our head. Toxins like alcohol, drugs, or sugar that we allow to take up residence in our bodies and minds. And the people we allow to take up space in our lives. Coach Snyder, when I said, Coach, what would you tell? He's 80 plus at this time. Coach, what would you tell your 30-year-old self about what you need to do? And he said, Eric, I would say write down on a sheet of paper my priorities and list of my priorities in life. And then I would edit out every single thing that keeps me from attaining those priorities. And yeah. reading your analyzation yeah. of this idea of, you know, leaders are teachers, uh, it, it, it really highlighted that for me. And, and, and the, the, the conversation we just had about social media and distraction, does, does, does you know, surfing, reddit or 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 post it or getting into a facebook argument really help you be a better athlete a better leader a better writer a better speaker probably not you yeah. know it's a distraction from the main event and and that's you know i i think i think you also have to <clears throat> excuse me you have to you know one of the things i think around uh we'll talk a bit about pressure and so on but but around is is how do you create a balanced life and and one of the the, the best metaphors I've heard around this and and um, the All Blacks have talked about this, but it's talked about in, in many things is, is you know, you, you, you want to sit on a squarely on a chair, you want to be balanced on a chair and a chair has to have at least four legs. Mm -hmm. um, one will be your kind of career professional, you know, one might be family or emotional, let's call it emotional, you know, one needs to be physical. You know, and and another is spiritual. However, you define that, it might mm -hmm. be God, or it might be nature, it might be music. You know, your way of sort of transcending. And then there are others that you could add in terms of and other ways of doing it. But have you designed your life that you're sitting square on a chair, and and that actually, if you you get a knee injury and you're out for the season, can you sit? Will the other three hold you up? Because you're going to need them in any life. And, and not too dissimilar from writing down your priorities and saying, um, you know, I talk in, in some of my coaching practice about um, kind of purpose, principles and practice. End ways means, I think, in a military sense. What's mm -hmm. the end? You know, what's, what's the end game, that purpose? 
what are the principles, the sort of strategic drivers you're going to get there? And, and then what do you put into practice? What are the everyday stuff that you make it happen? There's a way to kind of marshal it. And, and, and um, you know, one of, the, one of the kind of grids that I use is, is um, physical, um, purposeful, planned, and playful just four p's that work quite well and i i end up structuring my day a little bit around that i go okay well listen i need to make sure i take care of my body in one way or another i need to walk or cycle or work out whatever been more difficult around lock-in but you know even more important therefore mm -hmm. purposeful put the make the main thing the main thing in the stephen kobe thing try yeah. to do the the work that you're here to work planned is always better than admin <laughs> you know or paperwork it's like actually use this to try to plan some sort of good result and don't forget to be playful mm -hmm. you know don't forget to have fun either at the end of the day but but during the day as well and make sure that's woven throughout the day so that the sort of joy and 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 that for me is a simple way of trying to keep the main thing the main thing or or the my prior priorities and then within the priorities and that helps me organize in my mind at least there's a bit of a benchmark i've created a kind of a mental environment around it myself that i can do the stuff that really matters yeah. because it's really really easy to be distracted and to be knocked off shape and then and then you think about how do you create your environment does your home does your office reflect um your ethos you know, do you do you do your do you dress according to the way that you want to be perceived or you perceive yourself? All of those small environmental cues will prime you to be the to to deliver the kind of deliver on your values really. So if you know who you are and you've defined who your identity is, design an environment around yourself in terms of you know garbage in, garbage out, or quality in, quality out, and all those domains. Um, you're at least putting you creating an optimum personal optimum performance environment um, and you can design that and then it's up to you to go out there and deliver it yeah. and and generate but 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 you know if you're if you're you know if you haven't got the basics in place and if you're not reminding yourself every day of who of what you're doing and why it matters and where you're going that storytelling side aspect of it i think is really important um yeah there's a phrase I use that the story you tell yourself turns out to be the story that others tell about you. Right. You know, and, and the, 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 and that, that's a kind of a story of the character that you are. It's a character sketch, if you like. And uh, one of the things I like to talk about is, or, or that, that has really appealed to me is the ancient Greeks or character um, ethos is character and or the characteristic spirit of an organization or kind of the ethos of an, of an individual. And the, there are two sides to a coin. There's kind of, on one side, it's character, our kind of moral qualities, if you like. Yes. But on the other side of the coin, the ancient Greek sword, it's like typewriter, like, uh, like character, like a typewriter character. It makes an impact. So under the original kind of meanings of the word, it makes an impact, it makes an impression. Mm -hmm. The story you tell yourself, your moral qualities, will become the impact that that you make that that will become your purpose and so finding ways to create around yourself to shape um, that story so powerfully that it will become the impact that you make is really the agency that, that we have to shape our lives i think to take well, some control over it in an uncontrollable universe james that brings us to chapter six far now or no dickheads.
follow the spearhead. James, what is fa now and what is the spearhead? What do you mean by that? And fa now means family in the Maori language, tereo, the, the Maori language. Um, uh, and it, it, it's, a, it's come to mean something even more than just immediate family. It's kind of family of friends, the, the, the gathering, the collective, the, the mates, the, the group. Um, so this is around, this chapter really is around commitment to the group, to each other, the team first philosophy, no one is bigger than the team, follow the spared, or as they say, no dickheads. James, the truth is, uh, for your book, I can tell you the impact it's having uh, with clients of ours already, but prior to this podcast is, uh, I don't see uh, fa new or fa now in very many locker rooms, I got to tell you. There's no, lots no of dickheads. places I know where I where there's signs up that say no dickheads. Yeah. Um, James, in, in, in this, you, you, I loved it because there's there's a term you use in that uh, in this leadership uh, lesson as number six of 15, um, that better people make better all blacks. But is that really what fa now is what is the spearhead you talking about no dickheads follow well, the spearhead what, do, yeah. how do those relate to each other yeah i mean i i, th I think that i think I, all the great teams have one fundamental belief which is team first no mm -hmm. one is bigger than the team what will my contribution to be to something bigger than myself and it ties together in many different ways it's it's really comes back to purpose yeah. having a purpose or an intention that one serves. Um, you know, Jim Collins in Good to Great writes about level five leadership, right. um, that the really successful corporate leaders are those who, they're not motivated by money or by ego, they're motivated by something bigger, their contribution to something bigger than themselves. Um, mm -hmm. Sandhurst Military Academy, um, the, the motto, the, the UK version of, of West Point, I guess, um, their motto is serve to lead. Um, uh, the, the idea that the team comes first, that what's good for the team is good for me, um, becomes, it becomes a really fundamental part of, of, of any great team. Um, and, and the irony is that everybody who thinks like that within a team tends to perform better. Yeah. You, know? It, yeah. it's, it's, you know, the selfish people you know, they fall by the wayside. And of course, there's the story, you know, famous story of, of Michael Jordan and, and Phil Jackson um, talking to Michael Jordan and saying, if you can, I, I think, if I remember correctly, I think Jordan had, I think Jackson came into the team, Jordan had, they hadn't won anything. I think Detroit were dominating at the time. Yes. Um, uh, the, but I think uh, Jordan had won a couple of MVPs mm -hmm. uh, over the last... And, and the conversation I'm paraphrasing went something like, um, listen, if you can change the, the me for the we, you can have as many championship rings as I have. And, you know, he's got 13 now or something, doesn't he? Yeah. Maybe 14 maybe yeah. now. Um, the, the, uh, and, of course, that's kind of what happened. It became a different style of play. It was still the MJ team, but it became a much more collaborative kind of environment uh, and working out to... to release the strengths of others well so i think most of our audience would say okay i believe i mean you talk about phil jackson right and and he had said that the struggle that you pointed out by the way that the struggle that every leader faces is how to get members of the team who are driven by the quest 
for individual glory to give themselves over wholeheartedly to the group effort. I think what probably a lot of coaches are, are thinking right now, a lot of business leaders are saying right now is, great, yup, I got it. I agree yeah. with that. How do you do it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but what do you do, uh, James? What would Graham Henry of the All Blacks, the, co the, the yeah, yeah. coach of, of the World Cup winning All Blacks, the most successful team in, in history. So what do you do if your best performer won't do so? If they won't give themselves over wholeheartedly to the group effort, what would Graham Henry do with an incredible talent who's, quite frankly, a bad teammate, James? Well, I, I think, uh, I, I mean, I can't speak for Graham Henry. He'd need to speak for himself. But but there is a there is a, uh, a story that one of the All Black coaches said is, is take a bucket of water. Now put your hand into it. Now take it out. That's how easy it is to replace you, right? So, you know, the glib answer is, you know, the best way to change a culture is to change the people. Yes. You know, you want the right people on the bus and the wrong people off the bus. 100%. And and being ruthless about that usually pays in the long term. And often that's a very difficult decision. But no one is indispensable in a strong culture. You that's know, right. and and you know if your if your lead broker is maybe he's booking he's he's making a lot of money for you but meanwhile you're losing all that other talent is just peeling off because they don't want to work with a dickhead then what's the cost first return ratio and how sustainable is that you know so it, you know it, it, i get asked this question you know quite a lot they go well first what's a dickhead and my aunt my glib answer to that is well if you have to ask you know yeah you know you, you should really are, know yeah, yeah. Um, but 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 secondarily it's like well listen um you know what's the cost um how much of your time are you spent trying to manage that situation um and uh and really um what what is important is, is creating a sustained culture of success important or is it kind of short-term gain and glory now there are some industries it's difficult you know, not to kind of go with the short-term gain and glory, you know, financial service, some, the trading end of financial services will tolerate a lot, you know, probably wrongly, but they will because the next trade is going to be the big one kind of thing. But if you're mm -hmm. really serious about building a team and an organization for the long term, I don't think it's a difficult question. It's like, right. you know, you know, you know, the, the, it's, the, it's the hole in the, you know, it's the pebble in the shoe it's the hole in the canoe. That's what brings you down. That's what slows you down. That's what sinks you in the end. I don't think it's a difficult question. And one of the ironies, if you look at it in sport, you, if you get rid of the difficult guy or girl, you know, the difficult one, um, you will get, you tend to get a, a bounce. You tend to get that team galvanizes and comes together because they go, oh, thank God for that. No kidding. You know? And they can, can recommit themselves. And then you have a massive opportunity to remold that team uh, in a way that, um, that, uh, that, that you didn't have before because everyone had taken their positions and had factionalized. So you can see it as a loss or you can see it as an opportunity. And I think that, um, you know, the reality in a sports team for the coaches out there is one good knock on the knee anyway, and they could be gone. Yeah. You know, it doesn't take much to lose a quarterback or, a, you know, it yeah. doesn't take look to talent. Talent can 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 break their neck just as easily as 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 anybody else. And so, 
you know, what will sustain you is the process and the process is the culture and the culture has to be based on values. And if somebody keeps encroaching on those values, that, that will destroy your unit, that will destroy cohesion. And cohesion is what you want. And in corporate America, if you've got a teammate who's inherently selfish, just real and, and that you need them, just realize an inherently selfish people eventually they'll get a more selfish deal somewhere else that they're they, going to they, take. They will, they will leave so, you, when you when you least, when you least need it. And the, 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 there's, there's also a, there's a lot of work that's been done around um, the differential between kind of task work and teamwork that, that teams that are really good at task will get so far, but teams that aren't so good at task, but are really good at teams are really good team workers will tend to outperform over time the task workers. So mm -hmm. a lot of the time, the dickheads, they're really good at task. You know, they're, they're, they're really good at a skill, a technical skill. But you know, over time, um, and, uh, and I, I emphasize that over time, it's the yeah. teamwork, the, 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 the combined effect of a well-run team that, that will, in military terms, you know, force multiply um, your impact. You know, well, well, well. That that combined effort uh, and the cohesion uh, and and the, the the sheer energy of collective uh, collective effort yes. will outgun um, any one particularly strong individual. Yeah, um, I mean, that, that's and there the are whole... exceptions, of course, but you know, sorry. You well, no, I mean, you highlighted John Wooden earlier. I mean, that's the whole John Wooden uh, talent allows you to win once. Yeah, yeah. Character but, but allows character you to win consistently. Exactly. And, and I think you want to get consistency, cohesion, you know, genuine connection. All, I talk about the C-suite, you know, clarity, yeah. cohesion, connection, communication, collaboration, contribution, character, cadence, celebration, uh, common cause. There are a few others I've sort of missed along the way, but that's really the environment that you want. And if you've got somebody who is withdrawing from the bank of goodwill all the time, um, that you have no chance of creating that. So for me, it's a, I hate the phrase, but it's a bit of a no brainer. It can be difficult politically, it can be difficult, um, but, it, but, but if you're prepared to, for the short-term pain, the long-term gain will, will pay off in spades. James, at, at the program, we're constantly beating the character drum with, with clients. And I, uh, we, we appreciate the need for talent. But as you point out, right, talent without character, it's, it, it's culture destroying. Yeah. But, you know, we take it one step further because, yes, we agree. And I'm not even saying one step further because you highlight this in, in Legacy. But, and you've highlighted it in our conversation today. But just simply having values and saying, well, hey, we've got values, that, that's not enough. I mean, we actually have to put them into action. Yeah. And in our terminology, that's where standards come in. Standards are what Absolutely. we do daily that reinforce our core values. Yeah. Now, this is my question as it pertains to the All Blacks for you, because you, you wrote something in this chapter that really struck a chord with me that I hadn't thought of when is... When we discuss standards, inevitably, we have a conversation about accountability in that we have to hold each other accountable to those standards. But when most people hear accountability, most people hear confrontation. Yeah, yeah. yeah maybe. Yeah. Okay, maybe. Maybe it is yeah, true yeah. In, in that yeah. sometimes it will be. But I love that you point out in the All Blacks that 
In its simplest form, this involves the mentoring of younger players by the senior figures yeah. of the team. Yeah. And the better job we do so in mentoring young players or coworkers, the less confrontation there needs to be. Yeah, yeah. It, I, I think I think there's something that we often forget is that we run on a lot of assumptions as human beings. Our background, you know, our, our families, the previous job, um, you know, religion, race, um, Southern, Northern, New Zealander, English, you know, all of those assumptions about the way we do business or the way life should be, should be, we bring that to work or we bring that to our task. Mm -hmm. And it's, and then we judge each other based on that. Mm -hmm. All and of us are very biased. Rare, and, and it's very rare and sport actually does as well, standards, standards and expectations in having explicit conversations about what we can expect from each other. And I think that, that, that teams that haven't had that and leaders who haven't created that environment really have little right six months down the line to, to, to be blasting at somebody for not living up to standards that are fundamentally assumptions. Yes. Right, about the way you should do it this way. And that yes. might, and there are many different ways of shaping that. And, you know, creating a coalition of the willing is so important. So, mm -hmm. so, um, so actually one of, one of the, the sort of the, the, the bits of work I do is, is working with teams kind of pre-season um, to help set them up for the season from a cultural point of view. And it can be kind of a day or a half a day or five days sometimes, depending on the time available and the kind of team and so on. Um, and, 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 and a part of that is it's about getting everybody on the same page. It's about co-creating uh, whatever, whatever the output is. You know, it can be a creed, it can be a set of values, it can be a set of principles, some standards, just can be in a loose agreement, um, what, what, whatever. But, but what it, really what it's about, it's about ownership and it's about um, getting rid of all of those assumptions and assumptions and making those standards articulating those standards saying this is what i will bring to the team this is what you can expect from me this is what i need to expect to expect from you are we agreed are we clear on that do we have an agreement and once you've got an agreement you can call someone on it you can hold them to account and it doesn't need to be confrontational at that point because it's like hey man you said that's right. You know, you know, you remember that conversation we sat down or not even you said, listen, we sat, sat down and we and we said, listen, we won't pester each other with phone calls on on the weekend or we will, whichever one it is, you know, whatever yep. your culture is. Mm -hmm. But we won't do that. Right. You know, we said that we weren't going to do that. Oh, sorry, man. My bad. You can have a conversation that clarifies things because you agreed already. But if it's like, come on, man, stop calling me on the weekend. I got a family. And the other person's going, I don't care about your family. You got a job. Yeah. You know, you know, aren't you committed to this team? Yeah, I'm committed to this team, but I'm really committed to my family as well. And then you've got conflict and that's, that's unresolvable right. because you've got two different worldviews and two lots of assumptions. So, uh, you know, one of the strong things I think any leader can do is, is create agreement. You know, that coalition, have people bring themselves to the conversation talk about what they need, set their own boundaries and agree those boundaries and then respect them. 
James, respect we, their own word and respect everybody else. And the better job, I think that leaders, what we highlight on that is that the organization's values, that as a leader, you determine what our values are, especially if you're an entrepreneur starting off a new company and, and, and by and large, or, but with it, when it comes to standards, what our boundaries are, yeah. let your team determine what those standards are and the better job that they do so then the stronger those standards are because getting back to an earlier conversation that we had in this conversation was that provides them with ownership yeah. they then end up owning ultimately if standards reinforce values they're owning the team's culture yeah and instead what we hear from a lot of our our clients is well you know hey i'm trying to empower them so I'm giving them ownership. I let our leaders determine where we eat dinner when we go on the road. And our thing is, is okay, but that, that, that makes them food critics, not owners though, <laughs> right? Like yeah, the, yeah. Let's, let's provide ownership. And we do that by allowing them to, to determine those standards. But I, I, as I said, getting back to my original question though, I really liked how you highlighted that the better job our senior figures can mentor younger figures. Yeah, yeah. Then, as you just highlighted, the less confrontation there is. Yeah, uh, because about because it. everybody's uh, you know you know on the same page. Everybody knows what's expected. That there's a there's a great um, uh, special force uh, over here uh, phrase from from one of the units over here. Um, the the founder said. Um, uh, he's not looking for men with discipline. He's looking for uh, men of self-discipline. And I really like that distinction because, because it's not really just about following the rules. It's about knowing implicitly what they are and holding yourself you know, in alignment with those rules, with those values. Yeah. Um, and another a, a rugby coach um, uh, said, uh, and I've heard it around the traps, um, you know, if you have discipline, you don't need rules. So it's another take on it. Mm -hmm. You don't need to enforce because you kind of know what's the right thing to do. But unless you need to, after sometimes that'll just happen. People will kind of get with the get with the program, get with the, the thing, yeah. right? But 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 most of the time you want to accelerate it somehow. Yeah. You know, and you want to find an opportunity to have those conversations. And, you know, it's one of the things during COVID times that, that is actually, uh, there was a really good article or, or piece in the uh, Harvard Business Review a few weeks ago, um, that, that leadership's gone from kind of the to do to the to be zone, mm -hmm. to do from, okay, transaction, make stuff happen, da, da, da. But there's another role at the moment, because people, there is shared adversity going on and and complexity and all of that but going into the well who are you going to be for your group who are you get what are you going to stand for and that's the values thing but also in terms of conversations like this or, or conversations kind of deeper less transactional much more values-based conversations you know zoom or the equivalent or whatever the platform and the time that we have to we we don't have those casual conversations in the hallway or at the water cooler at the moment we're all spread out everywhere you know even within teams some teams can't eat together 
you know, so that, so that, those opportunities to say, hey, I've been thinking about that play. What about this? Um, those opportunities don't happen. So, so one of the things for leaders now is how do we create those opportunities? Yeah. How do we create context to have the kind of connective conversations and, and around values and standards, uh, operating principles, the way we work together? It's a really good time to have really rich conversations, which will both have the impact of setting you up for the future, but also enhancing connection in a relatively disconnected environment that we work in this year and probably into next. And yeah. And look, and, and if, and that's what we should, again, performance matters. I mean, winning and losing matters. matters I, yeah. I, I, my son, you know, years ago comes home from his swanky private school and tells me, you know, well, the teachers tell us that we just have to have fun. Winning and losing doesn't matter. I said, Oh, hold on one second. Oh, 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 yeah. come, come, let, let's have a conversation about this. All right. Like, mm. Uh, let me ask you the question do you like pinning the other guy in wrestling or do you like it when he pins you equally like well no daddy i like pinning the okay so let's be on winning matters what we're going to stay focused on every single day is selfless tough and discipline our values which in that and not only should we do so when things are going well but particularly when they're not it's mission critical for us to do them when they're not absolutely so, yeah 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 you, you you know think of think of the world now we're slightly pinned down it's time to really go to reevaluate. that's literally right reevaluate, which is not look for new values but go deeply into those values and go well what do they mean for us now because that's your backbone and 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 that's your sort of baseline i think your foundations and as you highlighted james it's in in those deep conversations are not about what we do the deep conversations about are about who we are. Yeah, yeah, and that and that matters hugely, and 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 that character and that defines your character, and your character defines your outcome, and um, you know whatever the circumstance gets gets thrown, it's the way, not the way you react, but the way you respond, and the way you respond is by living truly into those values and representing those values in your, through your actions, whatever the circumstance. Um, James, I could talk to you all day long, but, and I, but we're not going to, and I appreciate your willingness to come on and join us again on a future podcast so that we can finish the first 15 in closing the program and this podcast mission is to help develop better leaders and create more cohesive teams. Today, I can say unequivocally, mission accomplished. James, you ensured it. Thank you so much. Listen, it's a total privilege and, and thank you. I've loved our conversation and I look forward to the next one. We I'd be re- finish the book together. I'd be remiss if I did not highlight that James is currently at work on the Legacy Workbook, a how-to practical playbook to help create a culture for competitive advantage for organizations, athletic teams, and or individual leaders. It is designed to help teams and their leaders lift their game. The haka, the ceremonial dance or challenge in Maori culture, reminds us of the inherent fragility of all life, how little time is given to each of us, and how much we still have to do. It reminds us, as James writes in Legacy, that this 
is our time. This is our time. And what are we doing with it? We are all faced with adversity in our personal and professional lives. Do we blame others for it? Do we look at this adversity as a crisis? Victims do that. Or do we own the adversity that we are faced with? Do we look at this adversity as a challenge, as an opportunity? Warriors do that. You might be suffering from a bad ankle right now. What a wonderful opportunity for us to develop our upper body strength. A listener might be suffering from a bad knee or back. What a wonderful opportunity to learn how to swim. You and your corporate teammates might be suffering a horrible year financially due to our response to the coronavirus. What a wonderful opportunity for us to prove to our prospects, our clients, and most importantly, to our fellow teammates just how great a teammates we are. Everyone is a hero when it's 70 degrees and sunny out. Unfortunately, that's not when we need them. What a wonderful opportunity we have right now because of our response to the coronavirus to prove just how great a teammates and team leaders we are to our teammates on all of the teams of which we are privileged to be a part. To do so, be a warrior. The adversity that we are faced with is a challenge. It is an opportunity. Choose to look at it as such and then let's go and do something to ensure it is one. The first 15 or at least the first six, as outlined by Mr. James Kerr today, is a great place for us to start. Let's do so. I challenge you to do it. For our listeners, to sign up for our monthly letter on leadership and to learn more about the program and our leadership development and team building services for your own team, go to theprogram.org. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at, at theprogram.org and on Facebook at the program org and at we do one more and on LinkedIn at linkedin.com forward slash company forward slash the dash program dash LLC. Finally, if you've enjoyed today's program podcast, please leave a review of it on whatever platform you have accessed it from. Be great teammates and great team leaders on all the teams of which we're privileged to be a part until the next time. Thank you and attack.